0: Week about Hillsong Church in Australia, and the article said, Come for the concert, stay for the sermon. And it was not a uh, compliment to the sermon, it was a critique on we're all wrapped up in music, but uh, the spoken word is not a uh, high priority these days. And uh, this morning I come to you uh, thinking in a fleshly way, that uh, this sermon may be one of those moments (laughs) where you're glad you heard the music, but you're not sure you enjoyed the sermon. (laughs) So I'm giving my disclaimer apology first, before we get into the Word. Turn to Titus, please, with me. Titus chapter 1. I just think there are times, and they shouldn't be all the time because we couldn't handle it, but I think there are times when we just need to uh, step back and sort of review uh, who we are, uh, why we do what we do, and especially as we started this series, who we listen to. And uh, obviously that puts a spotlight on leadership, it puts a spotlight on those who uh, pastor, those who teach classes. Uh, Of course, I always want to expand that to those who parent kids. It doesn't make any difference. We have leaders in our lives, and sometimes we like or we don't like our leaders, and sometimes we listen to them, and oftentimes we don't listen to them, depending on the circumstances and who the leaders are. And so uh, this morning it would be very easy to tune this out if you don't want to hear anything about leadership. And I'm not uh, wanting to just talk about myself, obviously. I want to include all of you so you all feel guilty as I do this morning. But that's really hard to do. Titus is uh, now the leader of believers on the island of Crete. The Apostle Paul began with an introduction letter to Titus that would be read to all the believers, uh, Paul first giving his own credentials in the first the three verses uh, to uh, sort of set the stage for who is giving this wisdom. Uh, If you're going to listen to someone, what is their uh, credentials? And obviously Paul says, my first primary credential is I'm a bondservant. The second thing he says is that uh, I'm an apostle and uh, giving some... uh, authority to his statements obviously uh, handing that off then to uh to uh titus and so he says in verse five or, or in verse four sorry to titus a true son in our common faith uh sets the stage verse five for this reason i left you in crete that you should do two things set in order the things that are lacking and secondly appoint elders in every city as i commanded you There's two things that Titus is going to be doing under the authority of Paul the Apostle so that all of you in Crete who are questioning who your leaders are going to be understand that the Apostle Paul has sent Titus. Titus is going to be then appointing elders. That's his task. And he's also going to set in order the things that are lacking. So he's going to sort of reconstruct uh, those churches that have sort of fallen under the... uh, Uh, under the uh, development of poor understanding of what it means to be a church. Remember, uh, these are believers who uh, came probably from the day of Pentecost, perhaps, heard Peter's great sermon, uh, knew about the the Jesus who died on the cross and saw his believers now enthusiastically uh, sharing and they, they witnessed the miracles of tongue speaking that day when the Spirit fell upon believers. And so some of these Jewish People were there and uh, fell under that spell of of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, received Christ, took that bit of information back to the island of Crete, and then uh, have tried to flesh out what it means to be a Christian without any understanding, without any good leadership in their life, uh, adding back into the ingredients who they are as Jews and their Jewish faith. And so Titus has uh, wound up leading a mess, basically. And so Paul wants him to set things in order to make things right and establish leadership that's the right kind of leadership. Last week we went through the qualifications reviewed here as, uh, as he gives that uh, understanding to Titus to hand this off. These are the qualifications of someone who's going to be in charge of a flock of people. I want to uh, say several things about this today. First of all, as a church at Alpine, uh, over the uh, course of time, you want to make sure that you know who your leaders are. And I want to say this, you have every right and authority to choose to sit under that leadership or not. Some churches uh, don't know their place in terms of authority, and sometimes abusive authority is allowed to continue because the church doesn't know what to do. That is not going to happen here. And the only way that that's not going to happen is that you understand what authorities should be and that you hold them accountable to that standard. And that is your obligation as a congregation and your right given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes churches don't realize that. And so as you uh, process what I'm saying this morning, keep that in mind, obviously, I want to uh, walk us down to verse 9. We left off with that last week. Sort of the last thing said about an elder. This is something an elder needs to be about. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So there's this strong statement of, uh, of, uh, from Titus to all those that I'm going to be putting in place elders who understand who they're supposed to be. The, the starting block, of course, is Paul set the stage when he said he was a, b- a bond servant. So no one in authority should ever think of themselves as anything l- uh, more than a servant or less than a servant. That's the highest standard that there is, according to Paul. And so being a servant is critical to being someone who's going to be in leadership And that's what set the stage. Then he's just saying the word of God is the criteria by which a person is going to lead uh, with sound doctrine so that they can exhort, that is, encourage, lift up, challenge, and convict those who contradict. So there's going to be uh, someone who doesn't want to hear what leadership has to say, and uh, the right kind of leadership approaches this with the right doctrines, but also with the right attitude, which is that of a servant. Uh, You know, uh, doctrine is a missing ingredient. It's It's a critical missing ingredient in churches today. And uh, let me just say this to those who may be here today who are not Christians. If you're not a believer in Christ, or if you're a brand new believer in Christ, I want to say this to you. Those of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that would be most of us here. We are simply sinners who've been saved by God's wonderful grace. And we were saved through our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us so that none of us will ever be able to boast. None of us has done anything that we can do to earn uh, the, the favor of God. And so even though our sins have been forgiven, which is wonderful, we are still able to sin. And at times, our sin can be allowed to dominate Uh, and oftentimes even infiltrate Christ's church. And this is uh, one of the concerns that Paul has as he writes this letter to Titus. And he wants the people in Crete to understand their need for spiritual leadership and also for you and I even still today. Uh, Here's the thing. If a pastor or a teacher is actually leading with correct doctrine, which is great, there are some who will not allow themselves to be in a position of conviction. I've come across those in my uh, ministry, and I'm sure that there are some you've, uh, you've understood once you understand where I'm going here. Someone will say uh, something like this. Uh, if the senior pastor isn't preaching today, then I'm checking out. Uh, Some will say, I only listen to James McDonald, or I'm a fan of John Piper, or I'm a Mark Deaver guy, or I'm a Matt Chandler fellow, a little younger guy, or I'm a John MacArthur, or a Paul Washer, whoever you want to listen to. Uh, And no one else measures up in my mind. And it is this person who generally stirs up division. It's this person who will be disrespectful and insubordinate to anyone else in leadership within his or her local church. Paul had this problem uh, earlier, and he wrote about it. I'm going to just read a couple of verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and then chapter 3. If you want to join me to remind you, this is not something that's new. It's something that will always continue. And Paul uh, uh, addresses the Corinthians who who were famous for this problem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Look over in chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as a spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you were still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of a Paul, or another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal?' Uh, So Paul had to deal with this issue that we have our favorites, and as long as we have our favorites, no one else can communicate to me. No one else can teach me. No one else can speak to me. And so uh, there's been this uh, interesting process over the last number of decades with a sense of almost a sense of competition between uh, the the professional radio uh, communicators to local pastors who preach, and feeling in, insecure and inferior. And I don't have that problem. I don't really don't care. I I, uh, I I'm not a good speaker. I never was. I'm just am who I am. And as long as I don't get intimidated by that, I'm okay. And uh, but some really struggle with that. But I'm, I'm more concerned about within local churches, within our own church, when someone else preaches, when someone else is teaching, when the replacement comes in. Do you, do you all remember going to school when your, uh, your teacher calls off sick and they have somebody else come in, a sub-teacher? How many of you gave great respect and a longing ear to your substitute teachers? Be honest. I mean, we drove ours out. That was, it was like, a, let's see how fast we can make them leave. <laughs> Terrible, terrible, but that's the attitude I'm talking about. Well, they don't have anything to say. And by the way, I mean, they're a substitute teacher. They didn't study for this class today. They got called at the last minute. What do they know? That was, that was what I used to say in high school. But well, the, the person's coming in to teach uh, Spanish, and Mrs. Booth isn't here today. This person didn't study. This person doesn't even speak Spanish, right? Well, maybe you didn't have that experience, but I did. So, you know, you have this issue. You have those who are obviously wanting to uh, just not listen to those who are in charge and uh, respond to them in a right way. And that's an issue so much so that going back to Titus, look at verse 10 of chapter 1. Talk about a concerning statement. Look what uh, Paul says. For there are many insubordinate. Now, I know he's talking to the people on Crete. But this is a letter for the ages. This is a letter for today. And he's reminding us that there are many who are insubordinate, both, and he calls them idle talkers and deceivers, especially, of course, those of the circumcision. That was their problem in the day. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Then he gives this commentary. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's an attitude problem right there. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn uh, from the truth. Uh, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled, they profess to know God. But in works, they deny him being abominable or uh, detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So you have this commentary, and he's basically uh, reminding uh, uh, Titus and, and uh All of these folks here, That here here are two things that Titus is going to be doing with you besides what I said earlier. Yes, he's going to be uh, assigning uh, elders and so on, and he's going to be putting things in order. But in the process of that, he's going to, first of all, be correcting the insubordinate. That's one thing I'm telling him to do. He's going to correct the insubordinate. For there are many insubordinate. Uh, I was uh, considering this. Uh, There are all kinds of things we could think about. In the day of this text it was Judaizers. It was those who again took the Jewish religion and tried to blend Christianity into that so that you could never be a Christian unless you then also participated in all the Jewish feasts and rituals. Uh it was a mixture of the two, uh which was absolutely not right, and that was what they were kind of teaching, more on the Jewish side than it was the Jesus side. And so uh, uh that, that's one issue he had to deal with. And that day, that was critically important because it says he was going to subvert whole households, th- those who taught that, the danger of that. But in our day, in our day, in our experience, what would be something similar that we would struggle with? And I, uh, I could sit here and list a number of things. I came up with three challenging and what I call devilish arteries of the church. Let me give you a few of them. First of all, the name it, claim it crowd is a deadly lie. And uh, if somebody is, uh, for instance, uh, extremely ill with a disease or sick, maybe you're sick often, and uh, you uh, feel as though, well, Alpine Bible Church doesn't have healing services, so I really can't get much there. Uh, I can call the elders to come and pray for me, and uh, maybe you've done that, and maybe nothing changed for you. I I can't guarantee that you're going to have a healing, but God can do that. I believe God can do that, right? God can do anything, right? Okay, so that's wonderful, but sometimes for some people that doesn't happen. So they get uh, you know antsy about that. They watch TV, and there's this uh, line of people who are getting healed and dancing on the platform and praising Jesus for the healings that they're having, and so these guys uh, obviously gain an audience like that. But the name of claimant crowd says that if you're sick, all you have to do is have enough faith and claim that and God will heal you. If you don't have any money and you're out of funds and you've got to pay your bills this next week, just claim that problem, uh, name that problem before God and claim his power over that and he'll, he'll bless you if you have enough faith. It, it's a deceitful lie that gives the impression that... You, God can do anything in your life, and he can, but we do that through our faith and our statements that I can, by, by my statements and my statements of faith, I can make it happen. Well, that's a deceitful, horrible life from hell. Peter talks about the fact in, in Peter of just the fact that suffering is, if you suffer for Jesus, praise him, whereas Naaman Claimant says, if you're suffering, you can cancel that just by your faith. It's not the same, not, not right. Here's another avenue, another artery, uh, the liberal accommodating churches. That's the big one today. Uh, God loves everyone, and He loves you so much, He doesn't ask you to change. Matter of fact, He accepts you the way you are, and so whatever flaws, whatever issues you have, He loves you so much, you'll never have to change that. Matter of fact, He blesses you for that. Matter of fact, He created you that way. So, you know, if you're an LGBTQ kind of person, uh, guess what? God designed you that way, and He loves you, and you shouldn't have to change. And churches that say you do or say that that's sin, they're all wrong. Accommodating churches basically let everybody do their own thing. It's, it's not much different than the church in Corinth, again, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, where they were allowing sin and they were actually boasting about it, that it was okay. But We have an example of that in the Bible. It's not okay. And when you deal with things like that in a correct way, which sometimes means loving discipline, well, that crowd says, well, that that's, that's really uh, pulling an authoritative number on us, and that is not correct. Another avenue, uh, are, are what I think is very common, are church attenders who claim to be pious, but they're simply phony believers. This is why Paul made the statement in verse 10, there are many insubordinate. I, I think the warning is out that as you uh, go to church and you uh, sit in church, there's an evaluation that always has to take place in all of our lives as we reevaluate our faith. I don't, I don't think that's wrong. I think that's a good thing. I'm not saying doubt your faith, I'm saying reevaluate. Make sure you're where you're supposed to be. Make sure that you uh, love Christ and you're humble in your heart and you're hearted. Make sure that you believe the truth. And obviously, all these things are, are critical for us. Let me define the word "insubordinate" because I think it's important. Those who defy or reject, or determine not to follow anyone assigned to leadership positions. This this person has a spirit of resistance, a defiant, arrogant spirit, oftentimes spiritually elitist. I have names in my head right now of people I know are exactly like that, and maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, and uh, obviously, that's a concern. And uh, Paul gives uh, some modifiers of what it means to be uh, uh, somebody who's uh, insubordinate. In in verse 10, he says, uh, both idle talkers and deceivers. An idle talker is an interesting uh, uh, caricature. It's somebody who speaks out uh, in regard to having faith, being religious, and yet this person produces no observable spiritual fruit it's somebody who talks the talk and does not walk the walk it's somebody that you can sort of uh, if you look closely you can figure it out now James talks about this in his little book James 1 verse 26 he says if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart this one's religion is useless James writes so idle talkers are either, uh, they can be self-deceived uh, regarding their spiritual state, and that's an issue. Now, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking here about somebody who just talks a lot. <laughs> uh, many of us here talk a lot. Some of us talk not at all. Uh, some of us are very quiet people. Some of you are very uh, uh, agrarious and very outgoing. And obviously, you, you know, talking is not a problem. That's not what he's speaking about here. He's talking about those who really do push the pedal on. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm following Jesus I, I, and kind of spin that thing off. But yet you don't see anything in their life that proves it. What a sad state. And, what a, and this is, by the way, one of the things that kids spot in the car on the way home all the time. If they have parents who come in church and sing songs and look real spiritual and talk real spiritual to all their peers, then they get in the car and then all the mess comes out of their mouth. All the real stuff comes out and kids see that. And so that's really what he's talking about. Deceivers is the second modifier. He says uh, legalizers, uh, in his day, were legalizers, these Jewish-professed believers, Uh, holding on to jewish uh, faith and so on but it's the intensity of what paul says about someone who is a deceiver he says uh, their mouths must be stopped so there's this sense in the local church that you know what we we do have uh, the right to make corrections along the way in the lives of people and that's something that's so again missing in so many modern churches today so correct doctrine is very serious in a local church, but correcting wrong doc- doctrine is equally serious. Can I hear somebody say that that's okay? <laughs> correcting wrong doctrine is very, very serious for us. Some people will uh, swear that they live according to certain standards and they call us to it. I'm thinking about... Uh, certain denominations and churches today that uh, basically tell us what is spiritually acceptable based on their own uh, personal preferences, and, and I think that that's an issue. Uh, they, they don't use the Word of God to uh, sort of set the tone. It's just uh, the, the leader's opinions that sort of waters down to everyone else. Out of that kind of mindset, we get cults uh, who take Scripture, use it out of context, and so on just like Jesus did with, or just like a Satan did with Jesus. So we, we have that problem. He, uh, right, he writes here, I want to go, uh, verse 11 says, who, Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households for the sake of dishonest gain. And so there are people who claim to know the truth. Uh, often they claim to know a deeper truth. But their agenda seems to be that of control and power and self-glory, all for one's personal gain. Sometimes the personal gain isn't finances. Sometimes it's just uh, attention, uh, adoration. Uh, Some people are uh, hungry for uh, someone to respect them. And so uh, they come up with these ideas and uh, try to promote themselves and what they know that maybe someone else doesn't know. And obviously it gives them that sort of sense of that. These are the things that Titus is dealing with on this island. Paul wrote in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13, he said, We must guard against false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. I was... uh, Thinking about people who sit under the leadership of certain leaders, I, I, I've never understood how a congregation can sit underneath a Benny Hinn. Sorry, I'm going to name a few. Just, these are just examples. I don't know how people can sit underneath that. Or Joyce Meyer or Kenneth Copeland, uh, Joel Osteen. I, I don't know how people do that. I mean, when you stop and think about it, these are people who are selling uh, deeper truths as as they sort of verbalize what they're saying. And uh, there's a smell of the stench of, I think, foul motives that come out of these folks that I just don't understand. Uh, Sometimes churches, I think they just become either enamored or they're held hostage. I'm not sure which it is. But when you realize that uh, all of them have salaries over $500,000, you're not giving enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't understand it. I don't understand how. Uh, uh, I went through just a list of some of these things. Uh, Benny Hinn's home's worth over $10 million. Uh, Kenneth Copeland's home, it says, is as large as most large hotels. Uh, Joyce Meyer, uh, her salary back in 2003 was $900,000. That was back then. Uh, they're all under investigation by our government because they're playing with their money somehow. Olstein is worth $40 to $60 million. Uh, I don't know, Uh Writing books might be a good thing. I thought about taking that on. Maybe I could write a book. I have nothing to say, but I could. One time I had an interview with, uh, with Paul Muckley. We were having breakfast, and he said, have you ever thought about writing a book? Because Paul publishes. And I said, uh, yeah. And he went, really? What's, what's in your mind? So I start venting about things that you could never write in a book. <laughs> the book would be about four pages long. And Paul said, that's not going to work. I said, well, that's, that's the only thing I can think of that I would say in a book. So that didn't work out. <clears throat> no one will want to read my venting. Anyway. So, you know, obviously, these folks and many others. Uh, this last week, uh, I don't know, I've just kind of been uh, flustered over this. I don't want to say broken, that'd be the wrong word. I'm flustered over this. I'm miserably upset about this. Nick and I have been talking and just the whole, uh, another you know—another fall, another mess in another church. And uh, when you talk about big, big churches of influence and pastors who are well-known around the world, not just in the U.S., and have books on most pastors' shelves, and then you find out that that fellow has... Lived a double standard for the last several decades, and you hear that, and then you hear the mess going on in the church, and everybody's quitting because they they know stuff they didn 't say along the years. they kept it quiet they 're all guilty it 's just unbelievable that you know you hear this stuff and and, and what happens is that church becomes the victim uh, and whether it's whether it 's a large church or it 's a small Bible study, it doesn't make any difference if if someone is leading and teaching and they're so off kilter, even though oftentimes we don't see it because they're deceivers, and it takes a long time sometimes because you like their personality or you like their popularity, and so you don't want to say anything when you sort of hear some things that sound a bit strange or a little off, uh, or maybe their actions just sort of you know put a shade on what they say and you wonder where they're coming from but you don't say anything because you don't want to look awkward or say something that's inappropriate. So what happens is congregations let things go too long. Little class, Small groups let things go too long. And then there's trouble. It's one kid in this one church, this one, one guy, he was 20, 24, 25 years old, uh, working in the youth and the uh, children's ministries of this church. This is, this is just recent and uh, was, uh, was taking uh, two little boys uh, over time, was taking these two little boys off in another room by themselves. And uh, others must have known that was happening, but no one said a word about it because it's such a nice kid. Well, as he's doing that, he's, he's molesting two kids in the church and getting away with it because no one, no one would say, well, there's supposed to be two. Why, why wouldn't there be two? Where, where are you going? Why, why aren't you taking somebody with you? It's a challenge for us here that when little kids in the back in the hallway are going to the restroom, uh, you know what? You don't let them go by themselves, and you don't have them go with one person because, yeah, we trust you, but you know what? We don't want you to be in that position. We want to know that things are right. Correct? It's just smart. It's also right. But when you don't say anything because you don't want to offend the person, you get into trouble. If you see uh my car at the uh, local bar in Dover uh, and you see it there four or five, six times in a month, you' better call somebody. <laughs> I'm probably not witnessing the gospel in there. <clears throat> I don't do that by the way, just 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 saying. So correct the insubordinate, but number two, rebuke the insubordinate. That's the second thing that uh, Titus is being told to do here in this verse uh he's He's basically uh, reminding Titus, okay, you know what? You, you have this, you know, there's, there's all these insubordinate. Their mouths must be stopped, and obviously that's critical and important. So you, uh, in verse 13, he says, this testimony is true. Therefore, sharply, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. He gives, actually, he gives uh, several things here that happen if we rebuke the insubordinate. So we're told to do this by Paul, and uh, it's not just rebuking the insubordinate for the sake of the insubordinate. It's rebuking the insubordinate for the sake of the flock. So when he says that, he wants uh, there are three positive things that can come out of that in the text. And so he he first of all uh, says uh, rebuke them sharply. That here's the first positive thing. They may be sound in the faith. I was thinking about uh, a psalm, just a little phrase of a psalm that. Uh, uh, is oftentimes a prayer of mine. It's in Psalm 143, verse 8. Just a little phrase that I often think about and uh, often say. You know, cause me to hear your loving kindness. Lord, in other words, Lord, I need you to cause me to hear your loving kindness because too often I am not listening. Does that make sense? Too often, I don't hear what I need to hear. I need you to cause me to hear your loving kindness. Then he says, cause me to know the way in which I should walk. Because, Lord, if I do the feely, touchy thing, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going I'm to go by how I feel in the moment. That, that could be absolutely disastrous. So cause me to know the way in which I should walk. And if that is a daily prayer of ours, cause me to hear uh, you know, your, your loving kindness and cause me to know the way in which I should walk. If that's a daily thing, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I just know that that is something that helps me as I go through a day. And I, I know that as I go through the day, I'm under his leadership. I'm under his authority. I'm under his voice. And hopefully I won't make the mistakes that I might if I was in the flesh. So soundness of faith begins with, I need to have God intervening and causing me to to hear and to know. Then he says in verse 14, uh, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the faith. Don't listen to stories and, uh, you know, deeper truths that someone has or, or commandments that are not in the scripture. Don't, don't yield yourself to those things. That's not truth. I was uh, reminded in that text, if I'm, I'm going to read, have you go with me on this one if you don't mind to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, this is where it's at so much today. Let me start here with uh, verse 18 and go down to verse 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, that's the key, in unrighteousness. Uh, Now the idea of suppressing truth or uh, let's sort of, uh, you know, the idea of holding down or suppressing truth. It's the idea that someone doesn't want the the actual truth of an issue to be in the forefront because that would change what I want as a reaction from people. So I have to do something about that truth. And so he goes down and if you go down to verse 20, 25 uh, uh, and look what he says here. Who exchanged the truth, talking about those who uh, who have done this, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped God and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Uh, so there are those who intentionally want to uh, adjust or tweak or change the truth uh, and obviously, they change the truth, and he says, "For the lie, they may not even be uh, sometimes thinking that they 're lying, they may have good intentions in the way they 're doing things, and I go back to those who are trying to rewrite the scripture to accommodate there 's that word again uh, their beliefs. And so today we have a a myriad of of new and fresh authors and those writing paperback books who are basically uh, trying to uh, re-explain what Paul is saying, especially in Romans chapter 1, trying to re-explain, redefine, soften the issues so that uh, those believers who are not solid in doctrine will be pulled into their feelings about what is truth instead of what is actually true. These adjustments are happening all the time. And so he's just saying, we need to avoid fables and false commandments. Uh, I'm going to have you turn one more place. Let me, let me, I want you to hang here for a second. Stay here for a second. I want you to go down and look one more thing here. Down in verse 32, he gives a a list of sins here because Paul was to make sure that no one can say, well, you didn't list my sin. So there's a whole list of things that people do. Let me go back to verse 28. Even as uh, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. Then he lists sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, he doesn't leave anything out here. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. All these are included with what we often pull this text out, want to talk about one topic, which is, you know, men and women exchanging their sexual uh, natural, used to something unnatural. We, we want to pull this text out, but Paul wants to make sure we understand there's no more evil in that than there is in being unmerciful. There, 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 there's an equal sense here. These are all sinful. That's why I go back to uh, Titus verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate. I mean, I can sit here and say, at some point in my life, I've been very insubordinate often. Have you? Because I have. Well, I don't want to hear him. I'm not listening to her. Uh, I've done that. But when you uh, start talking about extreme sins that we see out in the physical world, extreme things that we see going against the grain of who we are and then lumping that in with being unmerciful, wow. But here's here's the kicker. It's verse 32. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, here's our culture today that those who practice such things are deserving of death and not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. There's this whole wave of, of, of people today who, who are attacking, if you will, uh, uh, in, and, and some, some of them in very subtle ways, attacking the very sense of the authority of the church and the authority of those who lead by saying that, well, th- those leaders and those churches are, are wrong and, and, uh, uh, and they uh, are calling a, an army of people to rise up against that and basically affirming them and welcoming them. And that's the affirmation church that's developing all around us today. There are pastors and pulpits who would call us sinful and, and demeaning and cruel and, and uh, obviously not right with God because we call sin, sin. It's rampant in our society today. And so when he says we need to rebuke the insubordinate because we want to produce sound faith, we want to produce those who avoid fables and false commandments, we want to make sure they they don't uh, follow those things. The third thing is in verses 15 and 16 back in our text where he just reminds us of this. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Uh, There's this sense of we need to stand against those who are defiled. We must take a stand against that. People who profess to know God, but in works they deny Him is what he writes. We've got to take a stand against that. Uh, Just one page, maybe two pages in your Bible back from Titus is... Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. And Paul is warning Timothy, another young pastor, he's warning Timothy about his ministry in his day. And in verse 20, he says, Oh, Timothy, with an exclamation, Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it some have strayed concerning the faith grace be with you by the way some have strayed from the faith yes and that's happening so good people are being pulled into this sway of those who are questioning and and uh, standing against right authority, those who don't want to hear, those who are living by right doctrines, and they want to uh, you know, stand against that and call others to join them. And so many innocents are being pulled in to this whole wave of thinking. I want to warn us today about this because it's happening and it could happen to you. Look at verse uh, chapter 6 here in First Timothy, starting at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise... And does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, You start wondering what everybody else is doing and thinking and you're holding people hostage by those kinds of things. Useless wranglings, he says, of men uh, of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourself. So there's this strong uh, statement here as we sort of consider this. It it took me to uh, this last week in the news, the... uh, Revelation of the hundreds of priests in Pennsylvania who have molested over a thousand kids over a couple of, I think, over three decades. I don't know if you saw that in the news. It's sometimes hidden by the Trump stuff, but it's there. And I thought about that. I thought about the whole Catholic priesthood, which really holds parishioners. We don't call you that, but parishioners in the Catholic Church. Holds them hostage. To a lesser state of of spiritual being, because priests are at a higher level of righteousness. That's the way it's structured. These fellows who by the, who then listen uh, to confession and hold out on behalf of God forgiveness and absolution. Who do they think they are? And these who have them been proven to live completely uh, differently from what their standards are supposed to be. And the cover up to hide that. And not just the priest, but the entire system is defiled. I I didn't used to want to speak hard against that system, but I'm sick of it. And it's wrong. And it's unbiblical. And yet so many people are duped by that. So... In closing is verse 16. And here's what he says. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. And so this is God's evaluation now of those who are insubordinate. Here's God's evaluation. Three things. He basically says they are detestable. This is from God. They are disobedient and they are disqualified for every good work. Now, here's the problem. In today's culture, if somebody's good at raising money, if you got a speaker who's popular and has a name that it's the name itself brings in the dough, uh a church is gonna be very hesitant to disqualify that leader. That leader is economically of value. And that happens a lot. So there are those who buckle under that and so they're not gonna to call to account someone like that. If someone is uh, disobedient, uh, uh, that can be forgiven, and so that again can be whitewashed. But look what the Lord says: the first word, abominable in your translation, which is the word detestable, and how I'm using it today. It's the same word. It's detest. That's in God's nostrils. This person is detestable. Now, here's where you know I think about the sad state of those who say they know the truth and those who proclaim the truth, but. They also can then distort and adjust the truth for their own advantage. I wanted to list out here, I listed about four uh, areas uh, of, of folks that do that. Claiming Christianity, number one, yet believing that one is justified while living in an alternate lifestyle. We'll say LGBTQ, A, X, Y, Z, there's so many I can't keep up with them now. But obviously, those who claim Christianity, there's a large movement in Christianity of this crowd. Uh, here's another uh, uh, crowd for us. Uh, those who claim Christianity yet believe that Jesus is not God. How can you do that? And yet so many do that. We have, we have uh, uh, some clergy not, you know, not too far from our church here who actually have that as a belief system. Number Three, claiming Christianity while believing there was never a physical resurrection, those who teach that it was a spiritual resurrection, not a physical resurrection jesus didn 't really die his spirit didn 't die he 's eternal, so therefore uh, he didn 't really die on the cross he his body, His spirit left his body uh at that point and he didn 't die uh, uh, And uh, obviously, they're talking about his spiritual, but but we know that Jesus, of course, the spirit didn't die. But uh, Jesus fully died. He was fully buried. The word of God says he went and spoke to saints who were uh, in Hades. Uh, So we we know that that took place. But they say he did not physically resurrect, just his spirit. No, that's not true. The fourth uh, crowd here claims Christianity. While believing salvation only comes through a combination of faith and works. You, you can't just say, I believe. You've got to prove it. You've got to do something. And you've got to mix those two together. And obviously, we know that that's not true. Okay, so with, with all of that that he's written here, these are things that Titus then is going to take from Paul and he's going to transfer this teaching. And obviously, in the reading of this letter, everyone's hearing uh, the agenda. That Titus is going to be uh, obviously coming in and he's going to uh, deal with the insubordinate. He's going to put things right and so on, choose right leaders and so on. But today, you and I are challenged more than ever before, aren't we? We're challenged with the issue of truth, to stand for truth, to fight the good fight of faith. We've heard that many times, but we need to do that. Parents, Teachers, preachers, disciples, we all need to take our stand. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 uh, 9, back in our little text here in Titus, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And so I'm asking God to help us have courage of our convictions uh, as a church uh, to uh, realize what day we live in. This world is changing and shifting, and Christianity is taking a huge hit today as Satan is attacking doctrine and leadership especially. And uh, we need to be on guard about that as a church. We need to be uh, ready as a people of God to know what we believe so that no one can come in here, including me, no one can come in here and speak what is not true and lead in a way that is not right. And you will not let that happen, right? When I uh, almost died... uh, Some of these were thoughts as I was laying awake after I was revived, thinking about, well, actually, I just lost a button. I must have gained two more pounds. (laughs) Okay, wow. Just don't relax too much when you button your coat. You know, uh, obviously, as a church, I'm concerned about this. I was uh, thinking about this when I was laying there just uh, processing the future. I thought, well, Lord, if you take me, uh, and I've, I often think this way. It's just the way I think. But what kind of church will Alpine be when I'm not around, uh, when my peers aren't around? Because a lot of us are the same age. What, what will this church be like 10 years from now when most of us are in the, in the senior homes you know, and uh, we're not in control anymore. Well, what will this church be like? And honestly, my, my, my belief is that it's in good hands. But it's only in good hands because you who are younger uh, are, are being challenged, and that is certainly the call that I feel in my own heart, and many of us who are older. You are challenged to take the handoff, of leadership and stand for truth in the days ahead because the days ahead are going to be much tougher than they are today. And the challenges are that much worse. And so I, I, I call you to today, don't get lazy, uh, you know, get serious about the word of God, know the word of God. Those of you who are like in high school and junior, junior high and high school coming up, this is serious stuff because you're going to have all of those things attacked more than ever before. We're just seeing the, the formation of the attackers more and more, but I, I, they're going to be unleashed, and it's going to be out of control. Churches are just a mess. We're, we're as bad off or worse as Crete. And so we need men who can come in and, and women who can come in and say, no, this is, this, is, this is truth. That is not. And bring us on course. And so let's stay on course. I think we are now. Let's stay on course as a church. Commit yourselves to that, would you? Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the challenge of your word. Help us to take a stand in a day when it's so obvious that we just see changes all around us and we see the threat of the evil one against leadership and against a right church, a doctrinal church. Uh, Lord, uh, may we not ever excuse ourselves because we put an emphasis on that. And though we have wonderful music, though we have wonderful people here and we can enjoy those moments together, Lord, if we can't absorb with a hungry heart your word, then all of the singing and all the rejoicing is just noise. Help us to want truth more than anything and to stand our ground on that because if we take away the sound system, take away all the music and the instruments and all we have left is us, May truth be the core that is the sweetest harmony of all in our hearts. Thank you for drawing us together. Thank you for this church, for every person who's here today. I ask your mercy and blessing. If someone does not know you as Lord and Savior, may they hear and recognize that there is a truth that's life-changing, that's eternal, and that's the truth of Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to you now in Christ's name.